world, there is a contending reality over the souls of men, right? There's a fight. There's a war over the condition of the heart of men and how we respond and live our life. And I was just thinking, surely Maine has its giants, and the Lord would respond to me and say, but I have my Davids. And I feel like the Davids are some of the most uh, unlikely people. Uh, out of ob- obscurity, those who have no name or face or recognition right now on the, the main platform of the church in Maine, but I believe that behind closed doors, God is fashioning and forming and raising up this army, those Davids, those of pure heart and intentions before the Lord that carry a ministry, a contending ministry, a worship, a high praise that's like a weapon in the hand of the Lord over this land. So, Father, we pray right now over this state, God, we ask, Lord, raise up your Davids, God. Raise up your Davids, Jesus. Raise up your Davids, God. Raise the pure in heart, God, those that are fashioning and forming right now. God, in obscurity, Jesus, raise up your Davids like trumpets in this state, in Jesus' name. Raise up your Davids, Jesus. We agree with your word today, God. You have your Davids. They will volunteer freely. They will volunteer freely. Come on, that's a word for you. They will volunteer freely. There's something in that, though. You must be ready for them when they come. Are you ready for them? Are you ready for them? Are you ready for them? Are you ready for the Davids to be trained and fashioned in the house of prayer? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Are you ready, church? Are you ready, church, to steward over those who carry a sound that's not from this world? An anointing that's not from this world. Come on, I feel like a mark in the in the move of God that's coming in the earth. It's not going to be eloquent speaking. It's not going to be charisma or good looks. Come on, the further we go down this road, it's not about platforms. We're building a name. There's one name, Jesus. Come on, we got to get back to this name, Jesus. King Jesus, arrayed in glory and splendor. Come on, Jesus, the name that's above every name. Jesus, our eyes are on you, no man. Jesus, come on, we need it in the earth. Something more than we can produce. Come on. My cry as I was here in worship is said, God, I don't have enough for them. You've got to show up, God. You've got to come with something that doesn't come from me. Come on, let's pray for a minute. Jesus, we ask for an anointing from heaven in this place today, something that carries my words farther than they've ever gone. Jesus, I surrender my heart. I surrender my good intentions for this message. And, Lord, I ask you, God, do something of eternal value in this room today, Jesus. Do something that lasts and bears fruit for your name's sake, for your glory, your splendor, your fame in the state of Maine, in New England. Father, mark us here today, God, with something that leaves us so unsatisfied with what this world has to offer. Mark us today with a hunger for another age. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you do something different in this room today. Grip us. Leave us unsettled in the the normal day-to-days. God, give us a hunger. Give us a hunger that moves us to wake up in the middle of the night to seek your face, God, to stand on the wall of intercession for our region. God, give us something in this room, a persuasion that goes past what words can go to. Come on, Jesus. We love you. You're so good. You guys will learn about me. I'm super intense, but I might do a lot of yelling. 
I just love them. The reason I sometimes get so worked up in passion for them, a short 15 years ago, I was in an apartment overdosing on heroin. A complete mess, completely separated from God, hopeless, abandoned. Nobody wanted me around, and it wasn't because of them. It was because of me, because of the choices I made, the way I was living. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for me, he showed up in the most broken point of my life where I had nothing to offer him, where I had nothing to say, here I am, God, use me, send me. No, I said, God, here I am. I'm ready to take my life, the weakest prayer of my life. I'm ready to take my life. But, Lord, if you want something to do with this mess, you got to show me. And the next night at a party at 2 in the morning, some drunk kid starts witnessing to me about Jesus. He starts telling me that Noah, the only hope you'll ever find in his name is Jesus. He didn't know I prayed the morning before being left for dead in this apartment. And I just knew God was meeting us at 2 in the morning. I started to call everybody in my, my family. And I just started to say, I'm going back to Jesus. They thought they had no clue what I was. I had no clue what was going on. But I just knew something was happening in this apartment. Call my father like the fourth person down the list, and he showed up at this apartment and prayed for us, and the rest is history. My, my journey was started by grace and kindness, and the only reason I stand before you today is the same thing, grace and kindness. The more you walk with the Lord, you realize you have so little to offer him. But for some reason, he chooses weak and broken vessels to, to demonstrate his glory and purposes in the earth. I counted a privilege to be here today. I was in the set yesterday, and I was in my heart saying, God, you're going to send me to Maine? I want to come to Maine. <laughs> Sell everything and come to Maine. Listen, you can't talk. I tried to move one town from Salem to Derry, one town over, and Wesley gets a dream in Brazil telling us not to move. She had no idea. That's happened twice. Don't tell me to move to Maine. No, you can't. You don't have that. Good to have friends like that around you. Twice we tried moving, and twice Wesley called us out of the blue without having any clue that we were trying to get out of where we were, saying, you better not be trying to move again. I had a dream. Whoa. God speaks, you got to listen. Oh, man. I just want to say this, and this is so obviously the truth, but I want to say it out loud. God is not done with the state of Maine. By a long shot, there is something coming up from the ground right now in this state. There is. There's something coming up. There was a 12-hour day of prayer, and I just was watching online a, a little while ago, and I just I sensed this thing, this fresh thing percolating under the ground of Maine, and I was just saying, God, you will have your inheritance. All glory, all power, all honor, all dominion from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, even the state of Maine. You will have an inheritance. we got to start living for something so much bigger than building some type of ministry. Some type of an ability to get in front of people and feel valued because we have something to offer them. There's only one name, and I believe at the end of the age we're going to see that name. The mountain of the Lord rise among every other mountain. Come on, Isaiah 2. There's a mountain of the Lord, and it's going to start to rise up. My dad stayed in my house for one night the other day, and he had a dream about Jesus' return. And he saw the mountain of the Lord in the distance just coming up out of the ground. And as he saw it, and he was getting close, running as fast as he could to it. As he got closer, he saw there was a city on it. 
And he said, Lord, what am I seeing? And the Lord said, my mountain will rise chief among all the mountains. I'm coming soon. Come on. I don't know what I'm doing this morning. This, I had a dream. I had a dream not too long ago after just a dramatic counter with God's mercy and realignment in my own heart where I was just giving in to lethargy and just what this world had to offer even in the midst of ministry and loving Jesus at the core of my heart, just giving in to the grip of the spirit of this age. I know that sounds intense, but the spirit of this age is just the consuming power that tries us to get so caught up in what everything is going on peripheral, in our pursuits of our pleasures and our desires, paramount even over our pursuit of God. But God being rich in mercy, he meets us, he encounters us along our journey. He continues to provoke and persuade our hearts into him. And that's what he did not too long ago in a fresh way. And I just re-surrendered out of that spirit of repentance that he put on my heart. And days later, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was standing in a large field. And there was this massive house being built. And there was people from many different churches that were painting and fixing boards on the house and putting new windows in. And I remember seeing this massive tree getting taken down. There was so much good productivity that was happening in this dream. All the people working together on this big house. And I remember just being so content in the dream and looking, being like, this is good. This is good what's happening. And I looked up, and it was blue skies, and it was sunny out. And I looked at my cousin Sam in the, my cousin, my uh, brother-in-law Sam in the dream. And Sam, because of what he said to me, represented the prophet Samuel, represented the prophetic heart of God towards me in that moment. And I looked at Sam, and I said, hey, Sam, look, it's gorgeous out. Let's go golfing. And he just kind of looked over at me a little irritated and was like, we can't go golfing. It's going to rain soon. And I remember just thinking in my heart, dude, what are you seeing? Because I'm not seeing what you're seeing. And that's exactly what he was thinking. I can tell you right now. Noah, what are you seeing? Because that's not what I'm seeing. There was no sign of rain in the sky at all. And he says to me, it's going to rain soon. And I look at him jokingly looking up at the sky like, come on, Sam, good one. You know, blue skies. It's perfect day for golf, for leisure. And I say to him again, Sam, let's go golfing. It's beautiful out. And he looks back like the irritated prophet he was in my dream at the dull listener <laughs> and said to me, Noah, we can't go golfing. It's going to rain soon. And I remember just looking at him like, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden I see him turn and look, and there's a horizon of a city. And it's a huge city, like a skyline. And it's in the distance. And then in a matter of moments, I see these dark clouds start to thunder over the city. And in five seconds, I just see this massive cloud storm come over the city. And I'm amazed and I'm shooken up because of how intense this storm is, how black these clouds are. And Sam's looking at it like, yeah. And within a few seconds, the downpour came and then Literally, in three seconds, there was like these ten massive strikes of lightning. Boom, 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 all over the city. And I'm like, whoa, feeling it in my feet, like, whoa, whoa, what's happening? And he's just watching soberly. And I remember just being so startled, like, what is going on? What is happening? 
And I look over at him, and he's just looking, watching. And then all of a sudden, all the, the dark black clouds started. I know dreams are intense, and not every dream's from God. I want to say that. But I do want to say very confidently before you, one of the primary ways God speaks through the Bible is through dreams. Come on, all throughout biblical history, God speaks through dreams. You take dreams that sometimes you don't have the interpretation of, you journal it, you write it down. It could be a reference point for something in the future that not has ha happened yet. Not every dream's from God, but it's important to at least pay attention to them. This dream was from God, I'm convinced. These huge comet things start coming out of the cloud, out of the cloud, and they just start smashing every window in the city. And I'm just so blown away at what I'm watching. And then all of a sudden, there's this massive group of people running from the skyline of the city towards the house that we were building, the church, right? The church, one body, not individual groups. That's good. That's the expression and manifold wisdom of God expressed through different churches. I value that. But there was something collectively that was being built. And in that moment of crisis, there was something charging towards the church. And leading the charge was this 80-year-old man who had white hair. And I don't know how he was the fastest guy out of the 300 people I saw. But he was sprinting, and he had such zeal in his eyes. And when I saw him coming towards me, I was like, this guy's on a mission. And I yelled at him, what's happening? Like, looking at him, like, what's going on? Are you okay? And he just yelled at me as loud as he could, not caring if I received it or not, that he was going to that house. And he yelled at me as loud as he could, and he said, the return of the Lord is near. And I remember I woke up and I was shaken up. I mean, what a statement. We talk about the return of Jesus being near. And that can be taken by some maybe as like an encouraging thing because the world's in massive upheaval right now and crisis. There's incredible movements of God's spirits that's taking place over the earth right now. But I was thinking about that phrase a little bit differently than I was ever thought about it. The return of the Lord is near. And it was really just shaking me up. So I recorded the dream on my phone so I could remember the details. And I texted it to my father down in Florida. I said, hey, I just had this dream. One minute after I sent it to him, he sends me back a text with a, a Bible verse. I think it was Matthew 24, 27. Whoa, what is this verse? It says, so as a man stands in the east looking to the west, as lightning strikes, so will the Son of Man come. Whoa. Direct confirmation. And I, I'm only telling you what it did in my own heart. I'm not going to try to do anything beyond that. In my own heart, it was an invitation to, of the Lord about the hour that I was living in and the response he was looking for from me times of peace and comfort we can live a certain way but if there's a time of heightened priority on the kingdom work in the earth now is the time to be an awakened bride and to be responding rightly to the Lord in the earth if that dream was true from the heart of God that the return of the Lord is near I mean there's so many indicators and signposts in the earth right now I mean oh, I just heard someone give me a statistic the other day over the last 70 years more people have been saved in the kingdom of God than in every generation combined before that Reinhard Bonnke and Billy Graham have harvested there's a sickle on the earth right now the end time harvest we keep prophesying and looking forward to it's on the earth millions are coming into the kingdom millions are being harvested right now into the kingdom millions 
the song of the Lamb is growing in the earth. The cry, the, the Abba Father, the, the, the Spirit and the Bride that says, come. It's growing. The prayer movement, the facilitator for the heart cry in the earth of the Spirit and the Bride say, come, is growing. It's like no other time in history where every continent right now is literally burning with, with 24-7 prayer and worship, around the clock, incense to the Lord, ministry. Come on, the culmination of all the ages, the progression of everything is leading up to one thing, and it's not man at the center of the gospel. It's men losing their life so they can find it. It's King Jesus on a throne receiving glory that's only due to him. It's time for us to evaluate the landscape of our life on a whole new way. That's what I feel provoked for right now. It's time to soberly look because you know what? I was saying to Joe this morning, some will receive this type of message and some won't. There will be ten wise virgins and then there will be ten that just went about business as usual and weren't ready. And I don't say that with any indictment. I say that with a cry in my my own heart. God, keep me from sleeping the sleep of death, God. Keep me from falling away into dullness of the the pursuits and the pleasures of this life. These these things that only last a moment, these things that we put so much emphasis on. But really, a king and his kingdom is coming into the earth. This life is just a a momentary glimpse in the, the government of his kingdom that never ends. Francis Chan had this rope in a sermon, right? And, he, and he's showing this rope, and it's so long. He said, imagine this rope never ends. That's your existence. We were created as eternal beings. And he's just going through this rope, and it's raveling. I mean, it's a long rope. I mean, he's just saying, imagine it never ends. And he goes, this is your exi- existence. And then he finally gets to the start of it. And there's this little piece of one, uh, red tape at the very front end of this rope. He said, you know what this is? This is your life here on earth. And he said, do you see this little sliver at the very, very end of the red tape? That's your retirement, everything you're trying to live for, your last 10 years. I believe if the church is going to come into the level of engagement of the kingdom of God in the earth, in the midst of conflict, we've got to surrender to a whole other level. I'm fully persuaded in my heart God will have a remnant that will say yes. And the invitation is out right now in the earth. To my heart, to your heart. By the grace of God, not by anything else. To live for him wholeheartedly. To be a conduit of his kingdom. To be an ambassador, minister of reconciliation. The only way this is fueled is not by cutting out every good thing in your life. That's ridiculous. That's not even the God we serve. When he invites... When he invites, when he starts to touch your heart and he starts to pull, and you start to feel that that tender, loving kindness of God say, come up higher, son. There's so much more for you. Why are you settling for these temporal, these these shallow wells of of affection this, this world has to offer? There's a well that will never run dry in me. The only way this life is sustainable, I've tried it both ways, so trust me. I can say confidently before you, the only way we live in a manner worthy of the calling that we have in Christ Jesus is if we're beholding him regularly. Is if we're putting ourselves away in the secret place and we're beholding his glory and his worth. 
and we're saying, Jesus, you know what? I sign up again, Jesus. You know what? I give my life again to you. You are worthy of every sacrifice, God. Every place that I've surrendered to your timing and not made it happen in my own strength, God, I trust you. I sign up, God. It's your glory, not mine. It's your fame, not mine. It's not my comfort that's paramount. It's not my dreams that are paramount. Everything has to become second place to this truth. I know this is, it's intended to be sharp, but when we know the nature of God, it comes wrapped in purpose and mercy. It comes wrapped in grace and empowerment to live this way that we can't live in our own strength. It's, it's not hard, like, i got to give up every good thing. No, it's an invitation. Hey, will you come up higher? Don't just settle to build with wood, hay, and stubble. Don't just settle. Fire will prove the works of your hands. Use the precious stones. Build things from my kingdom, with my kingdom. It's not about finding every area in your life that you found enjoyment and laying it before him. It's keeping them untouchable before him. That when he can come onto the scene of your heart and say, I want you to go sell everything you have and go. Or I want you to do this. Or I want you to trust me with this. You don't have a tight grip on it. Come on, guys. Come on. It seems like death, but reality is, as you walk this process out with the Lord, it's freedom. It's real fulfillment. Real peace. Real satisfaction and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're in a culture in America that's like a tiny little bubble in the, in the landscape of the world right now. There's so much persecution in the earth right now over the church. But the church is thriving, guys. The fastest growing church in the earth right now is in Iran, in a place where it is not okay to be preaching the gospel. God will have his people. They are counting the cost every day. And all I'm encouraging you to do today is in light of who he is, and in light of his return, that we respond rightly and live rightly before him. What is the primary goal of our life? That's a question we need to ask ourselves this morning. What is the primary goal of your life? How earthbound are we? There's responsibilities, there's families, there's you know working to provide for your family, all that stuff. Are there areas that we're compartmentalizing away from Jesus a little bit? Or are we, I love that I don't feel like that's in this room. I feel like people are in a fresh place with the Lord over this weekend and saying yes to him. It's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength becoming first place in your life again. Every other lover coming into second place. He's not mad with good things. He loves giving good things. But are they getting, I remember couple years ago, God started me down this journey, and I love golf. That's like my one outlet. I got five kids. We got about four, four houses of prayer that have got a canopy of prayer that we're looking to see established and built. I got a business. I own homes. I got just a lot of stuff going on. I, I got a lot of stuff going on all the time. And I... And a couple years ago, the Lord said to me, I want you to, I bought a membership to play golf at this, at this course where I'm from. And the Lord spoke to me in a real sincere way. No, I, I want you to not golf this year. And I was just like, man, the way he did it, 
was so clear that it wasn't a death to me. I always got excited about what that meant for that year. It, it was just like this invitation that you want to come a little higher. I've been hearing you pray those prayers. You want to be used, man. You want to you live for me. Do you, do you really want to? You really want to? And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but we were sitting at a 12-hour day of prayer, Wesley and, and me, actually in Wyndham at the crossing. I just kind of popped in uh, at the tail end of it, and I was talking to her, and I'm just telling her, I'm like, yeah, God told me to give up golf this year, and, and but I'm excited about it. And then I just said this. I didn't even think about it. This phrase just blurped out of me, and I said, you know, Wesley, it's the time. It's the time. We were born for revival. And when I said this, this thing just settled down on us, and we just both started weeping in the back pew of this church. Because the reality is this generation is standing on the labor of many generations. And prophetic momentum has led us up to this point, and I believe right, we're right on the edge of a breakthrough that many have been foretelling. Many have labored in prayer and in evangelism and in works of training and equipping the church. We're right on the precipice. We're right on the edge. And the Lord's preparing the heart of his church to be wholehearted. Because revival history tells us something that when God pours out his spirit, there's always profound works and demonstrations and miracles and incredible breakthrough and joy and freedom. But if you continue to study on revival history, you realize that a lot of revivals ended up being quenched because man got control of them. They didn't necessarily know how to at the, at the foundation uh, handle the influx of people that were like, my dad was telling me about the way he got saved in the, the Jesus movement. And there were so many churches that were just trying to corral and don't dress like this and get, don't let your hair be like that. Don't sound like that. When really God wanted to use that unique expression from that generation for a new sound of worship in the earth. Green, what's his name? Keith Green. But I believe God is so jealous because of the urgency of the hour at the end of the age where we're standing. I know I'm. 38 years old, and how, how can I say a statement like that? I'm only saying what I'm convinced of. Whether it's 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, 5 years, I don't know. I don't presume to know. I don't care. I want to live in light of it. That's the reality. And it's not because of any, some high and lofty idea. It's because of the Bible. So I better get into some scripture because for me, if you know me and come around Freedom House, it's, it's got to be the Bible. I love the prophetic spirit, but I believe there's reformation right now in the church, and we're coming back to the core value of what the living, written, inspired Word of God says is the litmus test for every other thing said and done in the body. That's an important one. I hope you guys got that. It's appointed for every man to die, the Bible said, and after that comes the judgment seat. Think of that. It's appointed for each one of you to die, and after that comes the judgment seat. Through addiction, I've lost many friends way too early in their life. Tomorrow's not promised. Even friends that didn't die from addiction that died from car accidents and different things. It's appointed that every man is going to die. And after that comes the judgment seat. But that judgment seat in Hebrews that it's talking about is not the inner out seat. It's the Bema seat. It's the reward seat of heaven. The evaluation of your life. Leonard Ravenhill said a crazy statement. He said, there's only going to be one regret when you stand before him on that seat. You're in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're going to see the blazing eyes of Jesus. You're going to see the glory of his face. 
These words fall so short of what I'm saying. We're going to stand before the lover of our soul, the one that we thought we knew. <laughs> the majesty of Jesus. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. Jesus, the first and the last. We're going to stand before him and see him. Jesus, we look forward to that day. We're going to stand before him. He said there will be only one moment of regret in our life. And it's when we see the full reality of who he is and that we didn't give more. He's saying you will not regret one decision of sacrifice, of trust, of faith, of abandonment to your dreams and laying down your future. You will never regret one moment of saying, God, I'm giving you everything. When you see him in the totality of who he is, every decision you ever made in light of who he is, you will be so glad you did and wish you did more. It's a heavy statement when you go home and meditate on that. I hope it sticks with you. Because it's one of those truths and reality that I think has to get on the inside of us. Out of the reality of who he is. Reality is, is that through the whole New Testament and the Old Testament, there are over a hundred verses that God left us in the New Testament alone of the writers of the New Testament trying to create a posture of anticipation and urgency about how we live in light of Jesus' return. That was 2,000 years ago. How much more right now for us to be living it? The Bible clearly says the earth is not our home, and they were setting a tone for not just them in their day, but even more so now in our day, 2,000 years later. Christianity post the cross, he's reiterating over and over a hundred verses. I'll read some of them here. Let these words, the words of life, God's words inspired through man, rest on you. Some of this is probably going in one out, but if God has something of intention and purpose for individuals in this room, even if you don't feel like you're getting it all, it's getting in you. If it's the word of God, it's a seed that's unperishable. So I encourage you to sit here and just say, because I'm I tend to go all over the place, just say, God, whatever that crazy guy's saying, if it's from you, I want it. I want it. Philippians 3, 20, 21. But our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven, and for it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're talking after Jesus already came. He's coming back. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. He's going to have a bride. We're going to see him. We're going to stand before him. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. Come on. 1 Peter 2, 11, verse 12 says, To live some... Uh, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from this passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. John 17, 16 says, talking about his disciples, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 said, All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Talk about heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. They died without receiving the promises, but having seen them 
and having welcomed them from a distance. They were foreseeing and foretelling of something they weren't even going to be able to partake of. But they saw it and they welcomed it. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. I'm like, I read these verses and I think, do I live like this is my home or not? Do I live like this is my home, my permanent residency? Or do I live like Francis Chan was saying, hey, listen, you, you, so much you, you do here. Think of this, you're, you're, you're 60, 70, 80 years, 90 years of existence if you're lucky. It's going to be over before you know it. And what you do in this life matters for, inter- for eternity. It says some will barely get in by the, by the skin of their pants or whatever. Just barely get in. But come on, let's not, so many people in this room, let's not be ones that just settle for a flimsy Christianity that's all centered around my comfort and my ease. The way we burn in our generation is by beholding him, receiving a revelation of him fresh in a fresh way. You're a real God. You're alive. You're a king. You're coming soon. Can I get a water drip on a water? Beholding beholding him, loving on him, like someone said, falling in love with Jesus. There's no better vocation that you will have in your life. It's eternal. The song of Jesus. Right now it says, John saw it. He said 10,000s upon 10,000s are serving him. He got a glimpse of the throne room of heaven and said he saw Jesus high and lifted up on a throne, right? He saw a throne set up and there was King Jesus and it says as far as he could see, he literally, I looked into that word, there's, there's no description in their language for a word to describe how many. sing our song, we're joining in a chorus, you know, that that will never end to the worthiness of Jesus. When we lift our voice, we're not just sitting in our bedroom by ourselves singing a song, which is so good, connecting with Jesus. We're joining in with a chorus of millions upon millions upon millions. As far as he could see in every direction, there was elders, there was creatures, there was angels, and there was, all the attention was on Jesus. We give him, I give him so little of my life. But I'm on this new thing with him where I'm saying, God, you've got to have all of me. So, so all that means to me and all that should mean to you is, God, I'm opening up what I've captive in my, in my life, what I hold on to so dear. I'm opening up control to you. I'm saying you have access to every area of my life. You can choose not to do that. That's the scary part. We can waste our life, and it be over. Here one day, gone the next, like a vapor, they say, like a piece of grass. Here one day, you guys heard me say about my 95-year-old grandmother. At the end of her life, that was the one piece of advice she could give me. Noah, do something with your life because it's going to be over before you, before you know it. And she was saying, live your life for Jesus, Noah, because before you know it, you're going to be 95 if you're lucky, and it's going to be over, and you'll be evaluating what you've done. Do something with it. I take those words seriously. The sobriety and weight of this word, I try to live under myself. I'm not keeping anything on you. It's tough to gauge whenever I preach this message. It, it's a shock message, right? It's a lot. I get that. But I feel like in my own heart, the Lord's saying, no, it's not up to you. 
about how people respond to this message. It wasn't up to the New Testament writers how people were going to respond about living for another age. I'm not comparing myself to them, by the way. But the invitation's there, and I believe as we go forward as the Christian church, we're going to hear it more and more and more. Something that we hear so little about right now from the pulpits of America, the return of Jesus. We're going to hear about it more and more. There's a sickle. There's a harvesting tool over the earth right now. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people have been harvested into the kingdom in one generation. It's a sign of the time. He said, pray therefore, right? The harvest is ready. Therefore, pray. He said the Lord would send. The Lord told me one time or highlighted to me. This unprecedented move of prayer that's happening in the earth like no other generation. The reestablishment of the tabernacle of David. Early on in Israel's history, he told them, I want day and night worship before me. I want you to set them like, like watchmen on a wall. I want you to set them before me like an incense ongoing to the throne room. And there's been po pockets where it's been in the earth, and then there's been times where it hasn't, and the times where it hasn't. Even up until recent with the Moravians and more recent history, I know that was still a while ago, a prayer mountain. These big mo movements of prayer day and night, 24-7. Let me tell you, in the last 20 years, something very, very different has happened in the earth. Prayer is engulfing the globe. And you know what prayer represents? It rep represents a dependency. It represents to me that, God, we're saying before you, the spirit and the bride are saying, come. It represents my ways aren't strong enough. My, my ministry methods, they're not good enough. My, my communication skills, it falls so short. We need an anointing from another place to come and break through the scene in our day. That's what I believe the prayer movement represents, a posture of dependence, a posture of hunger, a posture that says take us past our abilities and ingenuities. Are we willing to die that death? That's a death, the first year of the prayer, house of prayer in Salem. Russell was around for it and our beginning gatherings, the Lord was constantly speaking into my heart, the same phrase over, hounding me with it, because he wanted it buried deep inside me. Over and over again. Noah, you've seen what man can do. Are you ready to see what I can do? And I was like, yeah, of course. Noah, you've seen what man can do. Are you ready to see what I can do? Yes, Lord. I've, yes, Lord, we want to see what you... Noah, you've seen what man can do. Are you ready to see what I can do? And I'm talking an hour and a half of this straight. Until the Lord started showing me in my own heart, my own ambition to build something by my own strength or gifting. Noah, are you going to settle for what you can do? Or are you going to go to that low place, that death road? That road that's not settled with what you can do anymore. That road that hungers for something from another place. I believe, I believe it's coming. That's all I can say. I'm trying to lean into it, live for it. You guys are trying to lean into it, live for it. Prayers engulfing the globe over the last 20 to 30 years like no other time. Really unprecedented to any other time of human history. And what I feel like was highlighted to me in that prayer engulfing the globe is that the harvest is ripe. He didn't say, therefore, go. He said, therefore, pray. Think about that. That doesn't make sense. There's something in the posture of prayer that happens. There's something in that posture of surrender and habitually coming before the Lord and saying, God, here's my life.
here's my strengths, here's my weaknesses, here's my doubts, here's my fears, here's my hopes, here's my future. Here it is. There's a divine exchange that gets us into a faith realm that says, God, I'm starting to see you. That picture is getting clearer of you. You're majestic and holy. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. And just like we've seen in the last 30 years, this prayer movement engulfed the globe like a flame, I believe we're going to see ascending movement engulf the globe like a, a flame. I, I believe that's so strong in my heart. And in the same way, in a, in a short 30-year period, we've seen the fire of intercession surround the globe. We're going to see a global sending movement for the harvest. Believe it or not, I believe that with everything in me. I believe that the sign of the time that the earth is being filled with prayer is because of the urgency, because of Christ's return. He's jealous for his inheritance in this last generation. And in the same way I believe prayers engulf the globe, I believe that we're already starting to see the very beginnings of it where the prayer and the missions movement are marrying each other. People that walked on different sides of the line and, and, and did their thing and did it well under the, the leadership of Jesus. All of a sudden, we're seeing this massive cross-pollination with these global ministries. How can we work together? How could prayer become the launching pad into effective evangelism? We're all to go. Matthew 28, we're all commissioned. But what are we, what are we operating out of? What's the posture we're giving the Lord our yes out of? you don't want to get puffed up in what God does in your life, because I do believe a lot of us will see, a lot of us will see things that are going to blow our minds in God's kingdom. But he wants the core of us so we don't take credit for it. The mind is fickle, the soul is funny, our humanity is wrapped around, and for some reason we sometimes do that slow fade. Like, look, at, look what God's doing. I must have something special. Look what God's doing. Look at this momentum. Just subtle, subtle, subtle little pats on the back. Our prayer, God, keep us from that, Lord. Keep us from that. I believe a mark coming on uh, uh, end time messenger is people that were never expected to be able to publicly communicate. I remember one time a, a girl said to me, she's starting a church in Boston. They're crossing, actually, down there, and they asked me to take some kids down there every week, multiple times a week, and, you know, basically grooming into somehow leading this thing. I was too young to do it. And and I remember this girl asked me, so you're a pastor, I think? I said, yeah, I think, I think that's the direction we're going. And she said, I can see that you're a good communicator. And I this grieving thing came on me so strong, and I didn't get it. I was like, what's going on? And it was just the Lord saying, listen, Noah, if you ever, ever, ever settle for communication, you're going to miss the mark for your life. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that people who have the hardest time to get up and communicate in front of people are going to be marked with an anointing that whenever they're stumbling through their words, they step out in faith. I believe in the end time messengers, there are going to be people like Moses who have no confidence in their ability to communicate. But when they open their mouth, something different happens in the room. Not that you can't have a job. I believe it. I believe it. God does not want to contend with the pride of man much longer. Isaiah 2. The end of the age, every high and lofty, arrogant, 
boastful presumption of man that thinks they're so grand before God's eyes. Guys, when we see him, we're going to have such a different, different opinion of ourselves. He was merciful. He was kind. He was long-suffering. I think at the heart of this, I think the message is here is but be watchful, be ready, be active waiting. Not sitting back and, and just waiting for God to part the clouds and come. It's out of that place of waiting and watching and engaging God's kingdom, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life to engage your sphere of influence, however large or small. Never something a word I had last night for you guys. Never compare yourself. I felt that in God so hard last night in this room. Never compare yourself to other people's giftings what you think are, are so good or, or so bad or never put yourself higher or lower. Don't even judge your own soul. God will do it. You're only going to be judged off your obedience. Fruitfulness is not the goal of your life. I'm telling you right now, obedience is. And your generation, my generation, every generation needs to get that thing in real deep. Where it's not about how many people, it's about following Jesus and saying yes to him at whatever it costs and whatever it looks like. Obedience is the goal, not fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is up to God. Obedience is up to us. You will not be judged in comparison, in comparison to someone else's fruitfulness. You won't be. You think that somebody who's ministering to the body is going to get some greater thing? Listen, you have one life to live before God in obedience to whatever path he leads you down. And you will be rewarded. And Mike Bickle said there's going to be janitors in heaven that have greater reward than mega pastors. I know this is a weighty word. Uh, honestly, for me, it, it, it is, it's weighty. But uh, there's so much joy in this message when you take this home and walk this thing out. There is. Freedom is on the other side of surrender. When we don't surrender, we're holding on to things that we think satisfy and make us happy. On the other side of surrendering to Jesus and him being our portion, him being our substance, him being our contentment, when you really start to engage that, not just corporately, in your room where nobody else is looking, the real stuff, real men and women of God, real maturing, when you, when you hide yourself, where nobody can see you, you're not doing it for anyone's applause. You're going to that place early in the morning, waking up with your guitar or whatever it is, putting the Bethel music on, whatever it is, and just say, God, I just want to be with you. You're my portion. You're my desire, God. If there's anything I can do in this life for you, I want to do it. If there's anything, you, we got one chance at this thing, guys. We got one life at this thing. What is the love offering that, that we're going to give to Jesus at the end of the life? Dream big for God. Dream big for him. What's the love offering? What are you going to give to him and say, my, my life, that obedience? What are you going to give to him? Pour yourself into something for Jesus. Find people that are speaking the same language as you. People that you can run with, be encouraged by. People that aren't just playing games or, or know the right things to, the Christian things to say. No, find the burning ones around you. And if you can't find them, burn and, and get other people burning. I think that's all I got for you guys.
Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you so much. I'm getting hit so hard with this message, and um, as I've been sitting back here, I just keep hearing the same thing. Do not harden your hearts. May we never get to a place where we say, oh, this is just another message about surrender. Oh, this is just another message about surrender and time giving to God. Do not harden your hearts. What he said just carried so much weight. I felt it so heavy on me, my own life. And if our response internally is, oh, God really is going to require more of me like that, uh, then something, we're missing the point. We're missing out on who he really is because it becomes a delight a delight to give up everything else. It becomes our joy that says there's nothing that can compare to knowing God and giving my life to him. So if you heard this message and you're like, oh, man, like, really, I'm, I, oh, I don't want to have to give up another thing, then you've missed the mark. You need to refocus on the beauty of Jesus because it's a delight, a true delight, no matter what it is, whether it's an activity in your life, whether it's something that takes up your time, whether it's relationships, like, let the Lord search you and know you and touch things in your heart it becomes a delight there's no greater joy this has been the message of my life too i so much surrender and as i look back on that surrender all i look back and say god you're worthy of it all there was so much joy in giving up the things that i wanted to do or my timing for things, or things that I enjoyed, pouring that out, I regret, like he just said, there's no regrets, zero regrets, and I stand here today just saying, God, what more, I'll give you anything, you can have it all, and I pray, I was just sitting there praying, God, let this be our heart, the state of our hearts, God, you can have it all, and not in this like, oh, what a terrible God. He's so mean. No, like a delight, a joy. God, you can have it all. You can have it all. My life, my family, my activities, my time, my finances, you can have it all, God. So, Father, I just ask for it right now. I ask, Lord, that you would find in us hearts that say you can have it all, Jesus. And if there's any place in us that is not seeing you rightly and that sees surrender as a chore, God, that you would redirect our gaze, that you would flood. I just ask for right now, flood our eyes with the beauty and worth of Jesus, that it would come from the deep inside of us true, a true cry, God, you can have it all. That it wouldn't just be songs, it wouldn't just be emotion, it would be from the deep inside, from the worth and beauty of Jesus, from revelation of who he is, saying you can have it all, God. 
bring us to that place, Lord, as a community, as a people, as individuals, that it would be true delight, true delight to sacrifice, true joy, true joy to be laid down lovers, every part. And I just believe that the Spirit's even touching hearts right now. If you felt like you've surrendered so much and are tired of giving up things, that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to minister to those places in our hearts because he wants us. He wants you. He wants your whole heart. So, Father, we just, even in your heart right now, if that's you, if you find that place, if you're feeling that way, just in your heart before the Lord, yes, God, say, yes, Lord, Holy Spirit, you can have it all. Give me vision. Give us vision of your beauty and your worth. Right now, just take a moment in your heart and ask him, give me vision, God, of your beauty and your worth, the delight, the delight. It's true delight. I'm not crying tears of sadness. It's urgency. I feel the weight of urgency that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Oh, God, that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. God, here we are. We love you and we await your return. I just pray that the words that were spoken would stir up the longing in our hearts for your return. The expectation, oh God, that nothing we could stand and say with all honesty and truth, just like Paul did, nothing is worthy to be compared to knowing Jesus. Nothing can be compared to knowing him. I count it all as rubbish, trash, in comparison to knowing God, to knowing you, Jesus, to having relationship with you. Bring us to that place, God. And I want to encourage you, if you're feeling a sharp conviction of the Spirit for an area in your life, give it over. Don't walk out of this place today and forget about it and dull it and let it just, you know, fade away into the background. If you're feeling the conviction, if you feel the Spirit touching something, confess it, get it out. I'm going to do this for the Lord because I'm delighting myself in Him. Father, I just thank you that this is a work you're doing in my heart 
and in us as a community. And it's continual. And I thank you for that. And we welcome the more. I just welcome and I open it up, God, over our community, over our, our community here, Jesus. to something too it's under the return of Jesus and him um, desiring but it's it's how we live our life and, and what we represent to the people around us and like James said you know how can fresh water and salt water came out of the same thing right I think it has a lot to do with that uh, I'm just reminded about uh, this last year the Lord in our community just giving us this word of preparation and consecration of consecrate yourselves today for tomorrow the Lord's going to do mighty things among you. And it was just a direct call about evaluation. We, we don't live in introspectiveness. This is not issue orientation, trying to find anything in us. It's the willingness when God touches something to deal with it. We're, we're not taking, you know, obviously sin is sin. That needs to be dealt with. But in terms of our heart and our life, it's just being open to his leadership and lordship. Nothing's untouchable. That's what that's out, right? And consecrate yourselves. Israel, every time Israel is about to go into promise, two times, they're about to inherit something God prophetically promised to them as a people. And that happened. The word came out, consecrate yourselves today, because tomorrow God's going to do something powerful among you. And I believe that was a call for us. I believe it wasn't a week-long thing. I mean, my poor people at my church had to hear me for a year preach, straight preach the same message. It's the only message I had to preach every different way I could ever think of it, because it was the only message burning in me was it's time to get ready. If we're believing for what we believe we're saying is going to happen, what are we doing in response to it? There's a scripture in Exodus where the plagues are hitting. They're in captivity, God's people. He's sending Moses in, and Moses is prophetically declaring, you're going to be set free, you're God's people. He's heard your cry. He literally says it. Tell them I've heard, heard their distress. For 400 years of captivity, Moses goes in, let his people go. They were hearing it. They were hearing the prophetic promise, and they were seeing signs that it was true. There was plagues hitting the, the army that was Egypt's army that was or people that was holding them captive. We're hearing prophetic promise that God's about to pour out an incredible revival in America. Right? We're seeing signs, signposts. Things are happening that, that are fueling our faith for that, just like them in that day. I was reading it last year, and I read something I never saw before. One little phrase, that last day, right before... Uh, Pharaoh tells them to leave, like, get them out of here. His son dies, and it says, finally, his son dies, and then Pharaoh's like, get him out of here. The last plague hit, his son dies, he said, get him out of here. And it said, the Israelites made no provision for themselves. They heard the word that they were going to be delivered. They saw the signs at the time that the promise and the prophetic word was true, and they made no provision. And there's a groan in my heart, let there not be said about the church of our day and our hour that we saw the signs. We heard the word, but we made no provision on the heart level to walk it out. Whoa. Jesus, consecrate yourselves today. I'll end with this. I actually got to drive a couple hours, pick someone up. That's what we're coming off a boat. Out of the tail end of that season, and I just believe it's a profound, a very profound dream from the Lord, representing a people that respond to this word, consecrate yourself today for tomorrow. So in the dream, I'm going into the bathroom. In the men's room, and I'm getting ready to go to the bathroom. This kid walks in. He's like probably 16, pretty scrawny. He's got this little buck knife thing, and I'm terrified of him. 
Before the consecration, I was terrified of this little kid. And then I started going to the bathroom and just symbolizes sanctification, consecration. I know, I'm a little weird. The kid's running at me. I run out a door, out of a side door. And when I run out the side door, in front of me was a mountain. And I just start charging up the mountain as, as, as fast as I can. Very shortly after, it became more about getting to the top of the mountain than it was even about that kid. I couldn't remember that kid. But I knew I had to get up that mountain. And as I was running on the left and the right, say this is a path going up, there was just thousands of people that had given up their charge up the mountain. Just completely forfeited their run towards the, the top of that mountain. And I was looking at them, and people's eyes were looking at me like, sit down and, and hear my story why I gave up on this journey. Just here, just here, if you knew how hard I had it in ministry, the, the offense I have, what my pastor said to me, like, it was just pity. It was like, don't, don't, why are you running? You're never going to make it. Sit with me. And I was just shouting, get up, get up, come on. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands, pure hearts. I represented a people that were responding to consecration, right? Coming, ascending the hill of the Lord. I finally get to the top of this mountain, and this is going to be pretty wild for some of you. I'll just say this. Two miles from my house of prayer is a, a place called the Temple of Witchcraft. And they have 350,000 people following them on Facebook, and they're self-proclaimed to be the fastest moving of witchcraft in the country. 23 high priests there. Just as we're contending. We're contending for God's inheritance in our land. Anyways, I get to the top of this mountain in the dream, and there's a 15-foot tall woman. There's no ceiling 15 feet tall here, but 15 feet. More than two of me standing there, literally. And she's got the most arrogant, haughty look, and I know she's a witch in the dream. She's just a, a, someone in the high place of the land. And she looked at me so arrogant, so haughty, like, I could care less who you are. I don't know how you got up here, but you're, you're nothing. I was just scared of a little scrawny kid with a little buck knife in the bathroom. But something happened on that ascension. Something happened in that pursuit of not giving up and getting to the high place, the rightful place for the church to be in. Gatekeepers in the land. And again, I believe I just represented a people that responded rightly to the Lord out of a season of consecration. I get to the top of the mountain, I see her. She looks at me. She could care less about me. And something rises up in me. I have a boldness that took place that, that God gave me during that run up the mountain. And I look over her like you have no idea who you're looking at. It was a boldness and a confidence that wasn't my own. And I just looked at her at the top of my lungs. I yelled this declaration of God's supremacy. I said, he's the name of boldness, not my own, the church, the ecclesia, operating in the high place of the land as they ought to, dealing with this place that was causing so many to just give up on their race, a delusion over the church in that region, she looks at me like, now you're dead, I'm going to kill you, and I just, this is wild, but I just yelled at the top of my lungs this high praise, and I yell, Andy Splendor! Splendor! 